Welcome to the Scale Up Wallet podcast, where we bring the best leaders in the world to help you scale your SaaS business from 2 million ARR to 100 million ARR. Today, we have a very special episode, and we are uh, starting a new series of episodes. So we also want to cover how to scale corporate. So that's a, a specific category or new category about corporate scale. So after we, we scale a SaaS company from 2 million to 100 million, and if you are able to go YPO or get acquired by a larger company, and we might be able to scale to 1B, uh, how do you do to scale corporates from 1B to 1.3? At this stage, the largest company in the world is Walmart with half a trillion in, in revenue. So nobody arrived yet to 1.3, and that's why we are doing this joke of scaling a corporate from 1B to 1.3. So this is the new series about uh, corporate scale, and we'll be discussing also how scale-ups can partner with, uh, with corporates. Uh, we have a very special guest today uh, to start this series of episodes. His name is Jeremy Bassett, the CEO at CoCubit, and also the former head of Unilever Foundry. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. So it's it's great to, to have you for one of the first episodes of uh, Corporate Scale, and it would be great to let you know a little bit more about yourself. So how did you end up starting up CoCubit? Well, uh, yeah, I um, have an interesting background. I grew up in Australia, as you might be able to tell from the accent, and I was raised on a dairy farm there. And we couldn't make enough money from the milk, so we turned it into ice cream. In fact, my uncle was the entrepreneur behind that. And from our family farm, I then found myself working for Unilever, uh, the world's biggest ice cream manufacturer. And I guess my whole career was defined by this fusion of how do you bring together the entrepreneurship and nimbleness and agility of a startup together with the scale and the strength of a corporate. And um, I then spent the next 14 years of my life at Unilever where I was responsible for launching new businesses for the company. Uh, and, and to be honest, we failed massively to launch anything that has significance to this day. Um, and they always say that failure is your biggest teacher and it definitely was for me. And out of that period of trying to launch new businesses for Unilever, I then said, okay, enough is enough. The future already exists. Uh, and the future is with the startup ecosystem. And our role here is not to invent the future. Startups have done that. Our role here is to scale that and to partner with the startups rather than trying to compete against them. And so in 2013, we launched this thing called the Unilever Foundry, which is Unilever's platform to partner with startups which is vastly different to what we tried to do before, which was to build startups. And the results were also vastly different. So the Foundry was an amazing um, success. It resulted in hundreds of pilots between Unilever and the startups. The success rate of those pilots was also quite high. We were typically seeing at least half of the companies we piloted with go on to a longer term rollout with Unilever. So about a 50% success rate, which is quite high in this space. Um, and then the culture changed as a result of all of that. So after 14 years at Unilever and after successfully setting up and leading the foundry, um, I thought it's time to help other corporates on this journey. And so I set up a company called CoCubed and that's exactly what we do. We help corporates partner with startups to bring transformational business models and growth to the corporates and help startups to scale up. 
That's awesome. I, I know that you have a methodology that you've been developing uh, across all of those, year, of, of those years and ways of that corporates can partner with, with scale-up. So what are some of the avenues uh, or ways of collaborating that uh, you have envisioned with, with your programs? Yeah, so I think, you know, traditionally for corporates who wanted to grow, they really had two routes for They either grow it themselves, organic growth, or you acquire it. So you either build it or you buy it. Uh, and that's how companies like Unilever have grown over the centuries. Uh, that's how most multinationals exist to this day. They've either built it themselves or, or brought, brought the business in. And that's still very much true with startups. So you can build your own businesses as an entrepreneur. Uh, that's what we tried to do when I was a director of Unilever's new businesses unit. It's very difficult and uh, the failure rates are huge. And that was definitely our experience, but where we were definitely not alone in that experience. Most corporates also fail when it comes to entrepreneurship in significant ways. Uh, so then the other option is you can buy it, uh, which is how corporates have traditionally grown as well through acquisitions. And when it comes to working with startups, that means uh, you know, investing, uh, corporate venture funds. Again, we're seeing huge growth in CVC. Uh, corporate venture funds grew by almost 50% last year. Uh, in value uh, of the amount that's invested. But we're also seeing from the research we've done is that 78% of those funds are destroying value. So they're destroying value versus IRR, internal rates of return that corporates would normally expect. And when you see that phenomena happen of large growth but value destruction, it's probably indicative of a bubble. And so we're quite keen to work with corporates to help them optimize their corporate venture funds uh, before the, basically before the next CEO begins and before that fund gets cut. Um, so you've got the build, I, you've got the buy, but we believe we're going into a new era and that is an era that will be defined by collaboration, by partnerships. And what we're seeing is a huge opportunity for corporates and startups to partner where you keep the startup as an entrepreneurial um, partner, as a standalone business, uh, no equity necessarily involved in that arrangement at all. But what you do have is the exchange of goods and services that can transform and disrupt the corporate um, and help both parties grow. So we can get into a little bit more of that later. But basically, it comes down to those three, three opportunities. Build it yourself, buy it in, or partner. And we think there's a massive opportunity when it comes to partnering. And that, that's an amazing way of simplifying and uh, explaining what corporates can do with, with scale-ups. Um, do you see any pattern where one of those avenues works better than another's or it depends on each case on each corporate? So how, how do you assess uh, what is the next step for corporates uh, or where they should start in their um, strategy to partner with, with, with scale-ups? Yeah, it's a good question because, uh, and there's a difference between where they should start and perhaps where they might want to start. So we find a lot of traditional corporates are very comfortable with the build or buy strategy. It's what they've been doing for the last 20, 30, 50, 100 years. Uh, and so this idea of owning everything is very common to a lot of corporates and something they're comfortable with. However, it's not necessarily a place that they should start. Um, and, I, and for me, the numbers really speak for themselves. So uh, it, it comes down to risk. So what we're finding is that 
uh, about 50% of the partnerships that we put in place go on to deliver long-term transformation. So 50% of them stop or fail and 50% of them deliver long-term transformation. Now, when you're not investing very much money in each partnership, those sort of success rates are actually quite good uh, because you know it's about failing fast, failing cheap, all that sort of stuff. When it comes to investment, we find that about 70% of the investments that corporates make through a corporate venture fund, and these are successful corporate venture funds, by the way, destroy value. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got a 70% chance of value destruction when you go into the buy phase. And when it goes into build, the standard failure rates when it comes to entrepreneurship tend to exist with entrepreneurship of around 90%. So if you just look at it from a risk perspective, partnership is 50% chance of failure and, and success. Uh, let's talk about success rather than failure. So partnership is 50% chance of success. Uh, investment is 30% chance of success. And build or entrepreneurship is 10% chance of success. So purely from that perspective, if you can, our recommendation is to always partner. It already exists. You've got a capable team. Let's look at how we can partner and scale it. Now, of course, you can't always partner. Sometimes you have to invest or take an equity stake or potentially own the whole thing. So if you can't partner, then buy. And if you can't buy or partner, then you need to build it. But having that sort of decision framework for a corporate tends to work quite well in terms of thinking, okay, how are we going to grow around this specific opportunity? Partner first, if not partner, buy. If not buy, build. Very good uh, thought process to and decision making matrix that you are um, sharing with the audience. Um, something also interesting is uh, we talk a lot about in any partnership and mainly with corporates and scale ups uh, is about a translation uh, service that needs to be done. And part of this is that corporates need to understand how the scale up works and scale ups need to understand how the corporate works so from your experience how do you teach or how do you educate the teams of that are within corporates so that the relationship can be successful and also how, how do you educate the corp the, the scale ups uh, so they can have an understanding about how to have a, a successful collaboration with corporates yeah i love it how you you frame it from both perspectives because both sides really have to change here um i mean the key issues always come down to a few key points. So uh, how easy is it to get set up on a system from a vendor management perspective? So this is a discussion with procurement, you know, how many pages are in the contract, trying mm -hmm. to reduce that as much as possible. Uh, um, how many days does it take to get paid, trying to reduce that as much as possible. Uh, how many different checks do they have to do on the company as part of a due diligence process? And again, trying to reduce that to as much as what is really needed. To be honest, it comes down to one thing, and that is right-sizing the risk controls to meet the risk. Generally, most of those controls are set up for partnerships on a massive scale. And what we're not doing here is a massive scale initially. So if you're doing a 50K pilot, then make sure that your risks are built around managing a 50K risk. Uh, there's no point needing to manage for a, a 50 million pound contract at that point. 
So that would be the first point. And, and this is always an initial education with the procurement team or the innovation team or the legal team on the corporate side. I think, you know, from a corporate perspective, the more agile we can get corporates to become, the better that is for everyone. Like if they're taking pages out of their contracts and um, time out of their procurement system, then that means that they're operating more efficiently. And that's good for the corporate, it's good for the startups, and it's good for all of the other vendors, by the way. So there's that part of the education that needs to happen. And then there's the piece that happens outside of procurement, which is more, how do you just engage with a startup? And I mean, on this, it's basic things that need to come into play, like showing them the level of respect that you would show to any of your other large, sophisticated vendors. Often the entrepreneurs behind these businesses are often far more sophisticated than most middle managers within a corporate. So giving them that level of um, respect uh, is one of the things that has surprised me that still needs to be done um, since I left Unilever. The other thing I'd say is um, the speed of decision-making. So really embrace that owner mentality yourself as a corporate employee. And I think if you can own the business that you're looking at doing, uh, the initiative that you're looking at doing with the startup as if it's your own business, then that will give you a really good mentality to approach this situation as well. But Mike, you're also absolutely right that startups need to change as well. And I think what we see is frustration on both sides uh, and, and both sides need to adjust. So startups need to become far more patient. I mean, they're exploring big opportunities here and things don't happen overnight. So do be patient from that perspective. Um, the other thing is, you know, to a corporate, you still represent a reasonable amount of risk. So do be prepared to stomach some of those uh, challenges that might come with lengthy legal contracts uh, as well. And then the third thing is, make sure that this is the right opportunity for you. You know, if you're too early in your startup journey, then engaging with a corporate could actually be a massive distraction. They're never the easiest clients. They're always a massive opportunity, but they're not an easy client. Uh, you probably need to expect that you'll have two people fully dedicated to servicing that client for probably the next few months. You probably need to expect to be able to jump on an airplane and go to different meetings. And you probably should expect not to be paid for that or not to receive cash in advance for, for you to, um, to join those meetings. So do be prepared for that. And then the other thing is, I mean, do realize that corporates quite rightly are, are reasonably demanding. You know, they're a big opportunity, but they also know what they want and they could if you're not careful, distract you from the product roadmap you're currently on and take you down a different path. And so you have to ask yourself, are we up for that? And are we prepared to potentially change things? Or do we want to lock things down first before we start rolling it out to corporates? Very good points again. And uh, putting ourselves in, in the hat that we have been covering a lot on the show, which is uh, on scaling up in different stages, going from two to five million ARR, from five to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. Uh, something that we always ask to our CEOs on the show and the different leaders is um, avoiding to try to do too much at the same time. So serving small business, mid-market and enterprise at the same time and knowing that the moment, the right timing to move from mid-market to enterprise, are they sophisticated enough to go to enterprise? So uh, are they prepared for the new kind of sales cycle? They have the team who understands how to partner with corporate. So they have the processes in place. So what is the pressure of delivering results in terms of uh, metrics? If you want to double or triple every single year, uh, 
uh, does this this maybe this relationship with carpets will only pay out uh, pay off at least next year so it's something that you are doing for series b or series c or from 10 to 20 not for uh, the short term any experience with this and as you were saying because uh, this bad decision of timing can kill the company uh, in the market, but also in the transition, you can be successful with mid-market and kill the company with putting too much focus on enterprise at a certain moment. Any stories that you have been living of those kinds of dilemmas and, and huge mistakes for, for both sides? Yeah, I, I think um, you know the speed issue has always been an issue for startups and it's starting to become a bigger issue for corporates. And we're seeing this more and more where in the past corporates were quite happy to sit on a deck for a few months or it might be a year before something's rolled out and that was okay. But I think increasingly this, we're seeing pressure from corporates to move much faster than what they have in the past. And so increasingly it's in no one's interest for ideas just to sit around and slowly die in PowerPoint decks. We need to get things moving faster. And so my one encouragement to to startups would be to think about how can you make this so attractive that it just makes perfect commercial sense to get a pilot off the ground in the next two months. So that involves a few things, making it really simple. So very low risk, very low key, uh, very much a no brainer. Um, second thing is uh, it probably doesn't cost anything. Uh, it doesn't cost much, if anything. Um, so do think about, you know, once you get that lock in, you've got a foot in the door and scaling up becomes much easier. So do think about essentially short-term sacrifices to make that happen. And then uh, the third thing is deliver something in the short term, but also make sure you deliver financial results in the short term as well. So give a good indication as to what the business case would be if you were to scale this. So whether that's growth, whether it's cost savings, whether, whether it's effectiveness gains, make sure that you've got clear KPIs in place that would trigger a scale-up moment. And really, you know, pin your customer to this and say, you know, if we're going to go on this pilot, we have to make an investment from our side. Uh, what are going to be the things you're going to look for to trigger a yes or no decision as to whether this gets scaled? And make sure that some of those resources are available if you do hit those trigger points. Good, very good point. And putting ourselves now more on the ads of the corporate and understanding what is the level of commitment. And uh, I, I assume that this is something really important for, for your role at CoCubed. Uh, so typically on your experience with uh, Fortune uh, 500, um, so how do you expect to distribute the, the growth through organic growth or M&A um, growth or even through innovation um, avenues, um, the trade-off in terms of percentages between organic growth or growth by acquisition? Yeah, so the, um, you know, I mean, there's still a good role for doing all three approaches to growth. Uh, and there's lots of examples of corporate venture funds that are very successful. Um, Unilever is one example where it's been around for almost 20 years now. It's gone through five different funds, uh, four different funds. It's survived five different CEOs. And they have 
I believe about a billion euros under investment. So, you know, it works well. The reason it works well is uh, because you've got a fantastic um, team in place there that are making those investment decisions. They're also driven and incentivized for financial return. And as a result of that, uh, you're seeing, you know, a successful portfolio as well. I mean, the difference between a disastrous corporate venture fund and a successful one is really only a handful of percentage points. We're not talking about a massive difference in numbers. It's that one's in the red and one's in the black. Um, so, and you only need a few very successful deals to actually make that work out. It's like any venture, venture fund. Um, when it comes to building new businesses, uh, there's also some success cases there as well. You know, I think Centrica is a great example of a company that has built new businesses over the years, whether that's Hive and their home management fund, uh, home management tool, whether it's uh, things like Local Hero, which is on-demand plumbers and electricians and all of that sort of stuff. You know, I think Centrica is a good example of how you can take some of that entrepreneurship and put it to work to create new ventures very successfully. Um, unfortunately, these things can be a bit of a scarcity though, and they're not always the case. And so as a whole, that's why we always recommend to start with a partnership. Got it. Cool, this is uh, quite amazing stuff. I'm still digesting uh, all, all the information that I'm just getting access to. Um, and, and we come to our favorite question of the show, uh, which is if you would have the opportunity to talk with Jeremy uh, at the beginning of CoCubit or even a little bit earlier uh, when you uh, started Unilever, Unilever Foundry uh, within Unilever, what advice would you offer to Jeremy at that time? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's such a good question. And I often reflect on this. I think um, the first thing I'd say is relax, it all turns out okay. Uh, it's quite, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, cool. it's uh, incredibly challenging and there's always battles that you're, you're coming up against. And I think whatever you do, whether it's successful or uh, disastrous, to make sure you pull the learning out of that would be a key, key point. To realize this is only part of the journey, not the end of the journey. Um, and to take it for what it is, which is a great opportunity to learn. Um, the second thing I would say uh, would be to look outside of the box. I mean, what we see pretty much everywhere is that solutions to our challenges have already been built. It's just a matter of looking at how do we partner. And so related to that uh, is the third one, and that is to be humble. Um, so be inquisitive, but also be humble and realize that, you know, as a corporate, but also as an individual, like we don't have all of the answers and that much smarter people have been thinking about these opportunities and challenges for often several years. And so it's up to us to realize where are our strengths. And as a corporate, that inevitably comes from uh, scale and trust and credibility and distribution and occasionally from things like IP and brands and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so realize the strength, but also realize the weakness and realize how other people can feel that. Uh, and I, I think that inevitably leads you down to a route of partnership. It was interesting. In um, Lego is a company that I follow 
a lot. And, you know, in 2000 and, was it 2006, Lego almost went broke. And then in 2016, they were nominated, or 2017, I think, early 2017, they were nominated as the world's most valuable brand by Brand Finance. And over that 10 years, the CEO uh, who led the company through that period, in his valedictory interview with the Financial Times, he said, as in December 2016, he said, we were humble enough to realize we couldn't do everything. And to me, that sort of defined what Lego did over that decade. They were humble enough to realize that they weren't the best in the world at running theme parks, and they gave that to Merlin Entertainment. They were humble enough to realize they weren't the best at making TV shows, and they gave that to Warner Brothers, who created you know, the Lego movie, and has done amazing things with that since then. Same with game consoles and other parts of their business. So they were humble enough to realize they couldn't do everything. And so this partnership approach works when you're working with startups. It works at scale as well. Um, and I think that's why you know, I'm particularly excited about this because I don't think we're just doing cool, innovative stuff that can improve culture and deliver some great case studies to corporates. We're doing something that is actually building the future of corporates, just like management consultants were set up um, post-World War II to help with organic growth. And just like banks set up massive M&A teams to help with uh, buying and acquiring companies. I think what we're doing is the future of growth where we're helping corporates to partner. And I find it incredibly exciting and incredibly rewarding. And I, I do think uh, it's a little glimpse into the, the way corporates will operate in the future. So I would say to my future self, also be excited because what you're doing here is is really building the future of corporates. Awesome. Thanks so much for making the time to share your experience with us, Jeremy. Great. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can leverage their lessons and avoid their mistakes. See you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>